Live from our man caves in Hawaii and Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem, Poopus, and Mike D bring you the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going, boys. Yo, what's going on, loyal listeners? Welcome to a bonus episode of MLS Gone Wild. This is Blem. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. This is your man, Poopus. What's up? How we doing? It's Mike D. And it's game day, and I have just one thing to say, boys. Go crew. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> so in tonight's episode, we'll be covering the first and only Trillium Cup match of the year, a matchup between the first and second place teams in the Eastern Conference, a matchup of MLS MVP contenders, Giassi Zardes and Alejandro Padoya. Tonight, we're highlighting Columbus Crew versus Toronto FC. Tonight's match against TFC will arguably be Columbus's biggest test this year outside of MLS's back loss to Minnesota United. The crew are winless in their last three matches of the Trillium Cup, tying two and losing one. But the crew are unbeaten in their last six MLS matches, only conceding three goals. Both teams will be missing their generals in the midfield with Nagby out for the crew and Michael Bradley out for Toronto FC. Boys, with all that being said, two keys to this match that we've discussed are the central midfield battle and the performances between U.S. men's national team strikers, Giassi Zardes and Josie Altidore. So let's start by discussing the midfield. The crew are without Darlington Nagby and his replacement, Alashe, who they recently acquired from FC Cincinnati. And filling into that role tonight is homegrown defensive midfielder, Sebastian Berhalter. With Pozuelo scoring five goals and having eight assists through 13 matches matched up against Berhalter and Artur. How do you see Pozuelo affecting the midfield and the midfield in general in this match? Coming back to Artur, like, that man really needs to step his game up because I know, well, he did have some decent passes last game, but he, he likes to turn the ball over way more than usual, and he needs to be quick on his feet because there's a lot of times where he'll have the ball and he won't get rid of it. He'll try to dribble it a little bit a little bit too long, and then they'll just end up losing it super quick. Yeah, I think the, the midfield is going to be crucial. Um, they don't have Bradley, obviously, but they, they, they have Pozuelo, and he's the guy, the, the engine, attacking-wise. So I think that you're right exactly. Artur has to be very solid tonight in order to keep things organized. Burhalter is stepping in and filling in some big shoes, and, you know, he's not had a whole lot of experience um, especially going up against a team like TFC tonight um, and what the stakes are. So really need solid performances from Artur, especially also uh, Burhalter. And it's, it's really key that, that those two hold it down. Yeah, and I don't think that they're going to be asked to do too much offensively. They're going to be responsible for uh, guarding that back four of the Columbus crew. They're not going to be asked to really be that creative springboard. That's – that's why we have guys like Zellerion, Pedro Santos, all those guys. But Pozuelo, like I said, he's having an MVP-type season. And the way that he goes is the way that Toronto FC goes. And they also play with two guys up top. So there's going to be a little bit more pressure on our back line than we've seen. This is arguably the best attack that we've seen against our back four. And then you add Pozuelo into the mix. That adds a lot of defensive responsibility, not only on our back four, but the two in front of that as well. Pozuelo scored the game-winning goal, PK, I believe, in the 90-plus minute last weekend for Toronto FC. And I think that he's going to have an impact on this game. But same, we're going to flip-flop it. Look at Zellerion, look at Pedro Santos. Both those guys had a goal and an assist in the last match for the crew. 
and their revenge win against Minnesota United. So how do you guys – we talked a little bit about Pozuelo and the defensive midfielders for the crew. How do you see our um, attacking midfield for the crew looking tonight and our attack in general? I mean, I think they'll, I think they'll look great because having Zayla in there to start off with, like, I mean, he's been hurt lately. And just have, having him in there already it makes a big impact for the crew, especially without Nagby. And then Santos has been actually playing up to his level lately and he, after starting off super slow in the season. So I, I like the midfield, but we just can't play down to the other team. Like, we love playing down the other team the first half. And we come out second half strong as shit. So we can't play down to the Toronto's level because they'll really take advantage of us. That's key. Playing down is, is absolutely something that the crew do. We need to have the Pedro Santos that we had last game. We need it. Zella being in the starting lineup, coming back from injury, he's going to continue to improve on his form, and he's going to get back to what we saw a little bit earlier in the season. So I'm excited about that. As long as we can lock down Pozuelo, limit a little bit of the options to the right side because I read 40% of the attack drifts over to the right side for them, and we can limit those options, limit the guys up top. The goals are going to come. Yeah, I agree. We've been, at least I've been, critical of Pedro Santos and previous podcasts, but like I said, kind of about Pozuelo, the way Santos goes is kind of the way the crew goes. And if you really look at it statistically wise, he has produced for the crew, whether it's for a goal or whether it's an assist, he has really been producing for the crew. But I think the matchup is going to be, in the midfield especially, is going to be really fun to watch tonight. I'm inter- interested to see how well Burhalter fits in. I think the more that he plays, the more comfortable he's getting in that position. It's also interesting that with all these games back-to-back-to-back, you know, this is the last game before the third phase, the final 10 games of the season, and there's been a lot of games in a, you know, short time span. And there really hasn't been a lot of rotation of players outside of the guys that are injured for these teams. Like the teams that are starting tonight are essentially the usual starters in and out game, game in and game out for these two squads. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I just think it's the opportunity that Burhalter is getting tonight is huge and he really needs to come out with confidence and really needs to, to show us something because it's going to be crucial for him going forward. Yeah, out of the two defensive midfielders, I think Burhalter will be given a little bit more of a offensive responsibility, not saying he's going to get the freedom to roam into the offense, but I think he's going to play more of the Nagby role where Artur is going to strictly be probably locked in on Pozuelo. You know, why you have those two strikers roaming behind you, Akinola and Josie Altidore. So we have to worry about those two guys. Speaking of that, yesterday we watched Josh Sargent and Werder Bremen and there's been a lot of hype about him. You know, we have all these young American products that are overseas that we're really hyped about. And there's been a lot of hype about around Josh Sargent. Yesterday, he drifted a little bit wide. But a lot of people are saying that he could be a U.S. men's national team striker. Zakawani, ex-striker for Seattle Sounders, came out and recently said that if the U.S. men's national team had to play World Cup final today or tomorrow, he would put Josie Altador into the game. So I decided to poke the bear a little bit on Twitter. And I just wanted to know why. Looking at the stats, you know, Josie has one goal and one assist in 578 minutes, which is a little bit more than half the minutes Zardes has played. So one goal and one assist in 578 minutes. Zardes has nine goals and three assists in 1,020 minutes. So production levels are 
way different. Josie's not really producing. He hasn't played. He's played a little bit more than half of the minutes uh, Giassi has played. But Giassi's got nine goals and three assists. So I asked Zakawani, you know, why would you what, – what sets those two apart? Why pick Josie over Giassi when the production level has been like this? So what he said in his, in his response to my question was, he said, Josie has the better first touch, better hold-up play, better link-up play, better close control, and he's a better finisher. What do you boys think about that quote? and what he res- what he responded with and the numbers that I just gave you guys. It's hard to like pick in between both of them cuz I bet we like we barely seen Josie play at all this season and cuz he's been sitting out lately. I don't know. I mean jo- Josie does have a bigger body. Takes some people on a lot more than Zardes does. Zardes more is more of an inbox person. Like once he gets the ball inside the box, he can he can finish the finish the ball. I would say he, he has be- actually beca- became a a lot better finisher this season from the past seasons that we've watched him. Because I remember countless of times last year, the man couldn't even finish it like a ball right inside the eight-yard box right there inside. And so he's definitely improved on that. But I would I want to see I want to see Zardes take up take people more like on more and go one on one with them. But he's not. I know he's not the type of type of player like that. But I just I would like to see a little bit more out of uh, Zardes myself. Giving the circumstances right now, if we were to pick, if I had to pick, if I had to choose, I'm going to go with Zardes. Strictly on numbers. You know, the guy's producing. But to be fair to Zakawani's point, I, you know, when I watch Altidore play, I do think that his first touch is better. I do think that he, he gets involved in the play more than Jossie does, aside from the striker aspect of putting the ball in the back of the net, which is something that I enjoy watching and can be really effective in – other people getting involved in the attack as well. So I, I do like, I do prefer, I should say, uh, Josie over, over Zardes. But right now, the way that Zardes is producing, your point, Poop, is that Zardes is an inbox guy. He absolutely is that. He gets in the box. He gets on the end of the ball. They find him, and he scores goals. So I think right now, given the numbers, that's who I'm choosing. Yeah, for technical ability, I definitely think Josie is the guy. Everything that Sakawani said is true. The better first touch, better hold up play. That's something that Toronto FC does really well. I feel like when I watch the games, a lot of times Josie kind of, especially when him and Akinola play alongside each other, Josie drops into the midfield a little bit more and Akinola plays a little bit higher up the pitch. And that allows them to bring something different offensively. That brings him in closer with Pozuelo and then they can combine better. So I do agree that Josie is better technically. I think all in all, if you had to select a U.S. men's national team striker to go out and play in a World Cup final like Zakawani was referring to, if they were playing tomorrow, I think it depends on who you're playing and the system that you want to play in because Giassi is, you know, he's not your hold-up striker. He's not your combination striker. It's going to lay a ball off, spin off a defender's back, and then make a run. Jossie is the guy that's literally, and we've seen it in recent weeks, his runs into the box just to get in front of a defender. Uh, And I also do think that he has gotten better at hold-up play. His first touch is a little bit wonky. Mike D, he almost reminds me a little bit, shout out to Isaac Arrington here with his, with his touch, but you know, his, his speed and his physicality make up for it sometimes. So he has gotten better in that regard. He's not at the Josie speed yet, but the production level right now, when you're picking guys, you want to pick guys that are in form, guys 
if a, if a striker gets a sniff of goal when they got nine goals and three assists and 13 games, you got to play the guy because he knows where the back of the net's at. I agree. But I, I think that when we come back, like I didn't mention this earlier, but this is going to be a three-part podcast. This is our pregame. We're going to come back for a halftime analysis, and then we're going to do a postgame, and then looking forward to the rest of the season. But when we come back at halftime, guys, I think we really need to focus on what Josie brings to the game when he drops into the midfield and does the hold-up play and also what Giassi does and how, you know, if he does anything like that. Uh, let, so let's let's pay attention to that and we'll come back at halftime and we'll kind of we'll analyze that a little bit and, and give our takes on that. But let's let's watch the midfield battle with Pozuelo and Berhalter and our and our tour and also the Columbus Crews attack. We'll, we'll watch them as well. But boys, we got about 10 minutes till this game's supposed to kick off. I know MLS games never kick off on time, so we probably got a little bit more time. But what do you guys how, how do you guys see this game faring final score? How does it how does it end? I think it's going to be – see, I mean, like, I think it's going to, this is going to be one of our toughest opponents yet. I thought Minnesota was going to be tough, but they really didn't play their hype like they have been. So, I'm going to say – I'm going to say three to two crew. I'm going to disagree. I think you're right. This is going to be one of the toughest opponents yet we've, we've seen. But with that being said, crew are not conceding goals. So, as long as that back line stays strong – and we can limit some of these options from the attack from TFC. I'm seeing this game 2-0 crew. We just need to come out high. We gotta start off high right off the bat. We can't we can't let Toronto run down our throats. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I don't think either team's gonna start off hot. I think it's gonna be a game of cat and mouse. They're gonna try to feel each other out. Um, they're they're gonna play to their tactics, their strategies, keep the ball a little bit, see who can dictate play. So I, I don't really see more than two goals being scored in this game. I can honestly see this game ending. I can see this game ending in a tie one-to-one. I said I could probably only see two, but I'm going to be a little bit biased here. I think, I think the Columbus crew are going to pull this one out two-to-one. But it's, it's going to be tight the whole game. It's gonna be, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, like you said. I, I do have a feeling it's going to like finish one-to-one or one-nothing, something like that. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And, you know, outside of the games against Cincinnati, you know, the Columbus crew and I think Chicago Fire, the Columbus crew really don't put up six, six nil, seven nil games like we've been seeing in the MLS recently. They're going to score their goals. They're going to defend like they defend. And, you know, they're going to get out of there with the dub. So I don't see us, you know, putting up, putting up crazy numbers today. So I, I think two to one, you know, like, like you guys said, this is probably the most – I don't want to say the most important, but the most important game so far, the end of phase two, we're at the halfway point. We're playing against a rivalry. It is a trophy-type game with the Trillium Cup, even though it's not an official trophy or anything. But we've, we've played Seattle Sounders. We've played Philly. We've played Minnesota twice, twice. We've played some good teams, but we've also played some duds in the Eastern Conference. And like I said, this team, Toronto FC, is tied in second place with, I think, two other teams at 25 points sitting five points behind the crew. So say the crew, you know, lose this game. Philly's playing tonight. All these, there's 10 games going on tonight. So teams can make up some ground and the crew, if they want to win the East and if they want to look to win the supporter shield, they need to win big games like these. Totally agree. Got to keep rolling, baby. Got to keep rolling. Go crew, baby. Go crew. Go crew. All right, boys. So before we get off here, before the game kicks off, do you guys have any more thoughts? No, I'm just 
Once this game to start up, looking forward to my crew pull out another victory tonight. So let's make it happen. Excited to watch this game. Really excited to see Burhalter and, and hope that he comes out with some confidence. And we'll come back at halftime. We'll talk about it. You got that right. Like we said, this is a three-part podcast. We're going to combine them all into one. So, guys, stick around for our halftime analysis after this quick break. We'll see you all in a minute. Peace. All right, guys, welcome back to a special edition of MLS Gone Wild, where we're covering the Trillium Cup between Toronto FC and the Columbus Crew. Columbus Crew lead 1-0 on a 40th minute own goal by Mavinga. Guys, what were your initial thoughts on the uh, first half of play in the Trillium Cup? Boy, these boys look good. Yeah, yeah I agree. I definitely agree. They, they came out fast-paced. Unlike other games that we've watched, they look slow in the beginning. They actually look pretty dang quick this time. Pretty dang quick. They're not playing down their opponent. We talked about <laughs> Sebastian Burhalter, Artur, needing to be very sound, needing to be great in that defensive holding position. I think not only are they doing it, but everybody is contributing. Jossie's getting back. I mean, seeing him on the 18 in some of these, these scenarios, it's, it's incredible, I think, right now for the crew. They look great. We talked about the crew playing up or down to the team, and I think that not only are they playing up to the team that they are up against tonight, but they're exceeding that, that expectation. So I think that it's, it's looking really good right now. Had a lot of opportunities, and I think it's only going to get better from, from here on into the second half. Yeah, just to give some quick stats that I pulled from MLS's app before halftime big, ended. Big stat guy. Yeah. No, so, I mean, these are just the very simple, not the advanced analytic stats or anything, but possession is in Toronto FC's favor, 56% to 44%. Although, it, to me, trying to be as unbiased as possible, it looked like Columbus was kind of dictating the play. Shots on goal, 2-0 in Columbus's favor. Total shots, total 7-1 in favor of Columbus. So, despite that possession, 56-44 being in Toronto's favor, at least from my perspective, it looked like the Columbus was running the game and you touched a little bit on Burhalter and Artur being able to really contr not control, but really kept Pozuelo under wraps and their whole midfield in general under wraps. Marky Delgado and Osorio had a really tough time handling Zellerayan and him finding small gaps in the midfield. And he was very, very dangerous in that first half. Not only that, but, System-wise and, and shape, I mean, the crew are holding – they're playing really compact, really good shape. They're maintaining it. They're dispossessing that, that play through the midfield. They're really disrupting that from happening. They're trying to play the ball out to the left-hand side a lot to Pablo Piata, try to get something going, but it's not working. And I think it looks great. It's exactly kind of what we touched on in the beginning here and, and I think perfect game plan going into this game. And you touched a little bit on it, them talking to – you know, Pablo Piatti being involved. Every, first of all, every time I see the name Piatti, I think of Ignacio Piatti, and I'm like, how the hell did Toronto get him? But, yeah, Pablo Piatti, he's one of their more dangerous offensive pieces out left. And Luis Diaz, our right midfielder, has done the defensive work. He's known for being the quick, flashy, you know, attacker that he is out wide right. And there's been multiple occasions where he's tracked back, won a ball. There was – I forget what minute mark it was, but he won two balls – they thought one was a foul and he went and we had a counterattack and then he tackled, I think Mavinga dribbled it too long coming in the middle and Luis Diaz 
playing out wide right, was like, you know what? I'm going to slide in towards the middle, pick them off, and then the Columbus crew create another chance. So, yes, they are playing a lot. They're playing the ball out wide to the left a lot. But Luis Diaz is good offensively, but he's looked to be up for it defensively tonight as well. Yeah, some of our pass could be a little bit more crispy, though. Like, we've had chances, especially on that one break with Zardes running, and then uh, I think it was Zayla gave the ball out to Diaz, and Diaz kind of just choked on the pass. Ter- terrible choice of pass. Probably could have done something a little bit better with that. Not not just only him, so a couple other players on the crew. I mean, they could have, they just need a little bit more crispy passes to actually make that make them count. So 100%. Yeah, 100%. yeah well, one thing I haven't said very often in my time supporting the Columbus crew is Harrison Offal looking unsure of himself when he's on the ball. Harrison Offal always looks good defensively, and usually he looks really good offensively. You know, he you know, can, can bring a guy in, fake a pass, cut inside, and buy himself some more time. And he's done that a couple times. But the next thing that comes after that, his pass that comes after that, just hasn't been crisp. He hasn't looked great tonight there was one instance where he had the ball out wide right I texted you guys and Giassi was peeling off of a one of the center backs back shoulders and he could have played a similar ball to what Zellerayon played yes and he waited 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 and finally played the ball but it was a really poor pass and he played it literally not in the air it was to the defender shins yep yeah I agree exactly what you both just touched on I think they're doing exactly what they need to do to disrupt play for TFC getting into the attack. And they're creating a lot of good opportunities on the offensive end as well. Also, yeah. talk about just really quickly, what the hell position is Josie Altador playing? I'm not sure. He's like a free roaming nine. I'm really not sure. We talked about it a little bit before. He likes to drop into the midfield to kind of combine with Pozuelo. And they did something weird to start the game where Akinola – started out wide right. The commentators said at the whole first half that they did that so he could make those diagonal slashing runs in between the fullback and the center back. And that just wasn't on. And then later on in the first half, it seemed like Altador was even dropping further in and Akinola was almost above him. So I don't know. And Richie Larea looked to be sliding up further on the right-hand side. So I- I'm not sure what Toronto FC, what, what their necessarily, their shape was or what their game plan was, but Obviously, they wanted Akinola outright, like I said, to make those diagonal runs, and it just wasn't on. So they've made some adjustments mid-first half. But we're talking about Josie. Guys, we talked about it in the first segment. We said we touched on it again. Josie, Giassi, who had a better first half and why? I think it was Dardes. Josie just looks invisible out there, to be honest. Like, he's, they're really not getting Toronto. Like, Toronto's really not getting the ball to him at all. And the, the most I've seen Josie in this game is when he commits fouls. And could have had could have had a red card already, but I mean he's he's a big boy, so he's a lot bigger than Diaz. Like before, it's surprising for Zardes to come back like he has been in this game because we're not used to seeing that. We're used to just see him staying around the box, but it's definitely definitely Zardes. I wish he could have finished that one ball that Zayla had to him because that was perfect. But we'll we'll go with Zardes right now because he's definitely he's definitely gonna put a goal away in here in the come come second half though he will. Jossie is a big boy, man. That dude does not skip arm day. Um, but yeah, you mean I'm, you I'm, mean Josie? You mean Josie? Like, see, here we go again. Josie, <laughs> we, Jossie, guys, we get, Josie. We get confused sometimes, guys. Yeah, exactly. But Zardes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think he's had the better first half, making really good runs. He's in really good positions. 
he's doing defensive work as well. He looks great. And Altidore is, like Pupa said, invisible, in my opinion. I think he's trying to drop back in a little bit, trying to get the ball, trying to make something happen, but it's just not working. I think that the, the Columbus Crew's shape is just spot on right now. Yeah, and you guys have said he's been invisible. Both of you guys said it. We touched on it a little bit. That guy is freaking ginormous. His traps, his arms, the man is huge. The guy looks like he could be a running back in the NFL. You know, I'm not. I got my Cleveland Browns stuff on right now. We don't need any running backs because we got the best running backs in in the league. But Mike D, your Jets could need one, so Josie could be your guy. Could need one. We we need more than a running back there, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, but uh, just to jump onto what Poopa said about Josie, uh, other than his fouls, you know, he didn't look great. He he did have that yellow card in the 28th minute, and then in ad, added time, he fouled. Luis Diaz, again, with a little bit of an elbow. Some would say it was body to body, shoulder to shoulder, but he's going to be walking on eggshells in the second half, especially if he's going to be playing as aggressive as he did there in the first. But it is one, one thing I thought about when I was watching, you know, you have Josie versus uh, what's the Columbus Crew center back's name? Uh, Jonathan Mensa. Those two guys are ginormous, two very big physical players. Akinola is the same way. So those matchups, Two really big guys matching up against each other. Same as Zardes and Omar Gonzalez and Mavinga. Like the striker and center back matchups right now are huge. The, you know, those, the players are giant. And balls in the air might not be the answer crosses in because everybody's about the same height. You know, Giassi does have a gift about getting across the defender and, you know, getting a poke on the ball or what have you. And to, to, to give Giassi a little bit of credit and to give Pedro a little bit of credit, like I said, the crew lead 1-0 on that goal. Uh, the own goal from Mavinga, but Pedro Santos played in a really nice ball and Mavinga couldn't deal with Giassi peeling off his back shoulder. And he kind of went into panic mode and tried to clear it out and score the own goal. So even though it was an own goal, the crew still did the right tactical, you know, the small things that you don't necessarily pay attention to. It kind of led to that goal, you know? I mean, for a while I was, uh, you know, I guess Fox was having some technical difficulties. So I was staring at a, uh, length screen so I had to close my eyes and just listen to the audio and imagine myself what they were doing in the game. Just visualize. What visualize. Like. <laughs> you, you gotta get that you gotta get that ESPN plus poop. Oh I have that too but you know what didn't feel like switching it over so okay. close my eyes for a little bit. Okay. All right guys the only other thing I have before well I have two things. First of all I know we've had trouble saying Josie and Giassi tonight. I had trouble in our opening segment in reference to Alejandro Pozuelo and MVP race with five goals and eight assists. I called Alejandro Pozuelo, Alejandro Bedoya. No slight to Alejandro Bedoya. Shouts to him. Great player for the Philadelphia Union. But I'm talking about Pozuelo in this case, okay? Names are difficult sometimes, okay? And the only other thing – what's up? Talking is hard, you know. <laughs> we, we've been doing this for damn near seven months and it still can be difficult sometimes. Uh, the only other thing I have guys, Justin Morrow, 250 MLS appearances at left back. He's one of the best left backs in the league. He's the most, one of the most veteran left backs in the league. So congratulations to him boys. It looks like they're getting ready to kick off the second half. I see Eloy room back in the goal. You guys have anything to finish up with? Nope. Let's just get her going. Go crew. Hopefully our tour could score a goal. I heard that, in 100 appearances, this man has not scored a goal. All right. Well, let's watch our tour offensively. Let's go, baby. Looks like he's got a lot of defensive responsibility, but, hey, let's get a goal. He's getting a little in the attack there, so we'll see. 
Yeah, him and Berhalter look good. Anyways, guys, we're going to take a quick break before our post-game analysis for a quick word from our sponsors at a Time Outfitters. We'll see you all in about a minute. Peace. We all love the beautiful game. We spend countless hours watching, tweeting, discussing, playing, and talking about the sport. And we all have our favorite memories when our teams made history. Moments like Liverpool's miracle in Istanbul or Celtics 2-1 triumph over arguably the best Barca side ever. Those moments that keep us coming back for more. But what if you could carry those moments with you all the time? At a Time Outfitters creates soccer-inspired wristbands that let you wear those memories on your wrist. Each reversible, elastic design gives supporters of the beautiful game a unique way to rep their favorite team in any setting. With wristbands for your favorite teams from across Europe, the USA, and beyond, each at a time design incorporates a 90-minute story from that famous match. Check out all 24 of Added Time Outfitters' current designs on the web at www.addedtime.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at at a time outfitters. Hi right, guys, welcome back to season two of bonus episode of MLS Gone Wild. Tonight we're covering the Trillium Cup, Columbus Crew versus Toronto FC. We came on at halftime. Halftime was 1-0 Columbus Crew lead off of a Mavinga own goal in the 40th minute from a Pedro Santos service from the left-hand side. We come back here 45 minutes later. Columbus Crew gave up three goals to lose this game, three to one. They haven't given up three goals. They, they gave up three goals in the past six games. They gave up three goals in this game alone against second place, well, tied for second place, Toronto FC. So before we really get into discussing it, guys, we talked about the stats at halftime. So at halftime, Stats were shots, Columbus 7 to 1, that they took that. Shots on goal, Columbus 2 to 0. Possession 56 44, Toronto FC. Okay, so shots 7 1, shots on goal 2 0, both in Columbus's favor. Let's skip down here. Post game, shots 10 9, Toronto FC. Shots on goal 6 2, Toronto FC. Possession didn't really change much 57 43. So there was a three-goal swing. There was also a big shot, shots on goal swing. Guys, what were the main differences in the second half for you? Toronto just came out hot. They knew they, knew they were struggling in the first half, and whatever they did in that locker room, they put some pep in their step, they busted ass out there and just came on top, of, on top of the crew. The crew were pretty much invisible out there, second half. I don't know what the hell Greg Vanny did, <laughs> at halftime, but man, TFC came out in the second half. This is not the same team we saw in the first half at all. Completely different, completely rejuvenated, more fire, attacking. And, and to, to that, on the other side, though, as well, Columbus looked totally different as well. They were not, it didn't look to me that they were as organized as they were. They were allowing more play through the midfield. Uh, Richie, Richie Larea, I mean, had a fantastic game, and he started to get more involved. And as they involved him more and, and things were going in his favor, more confidence and, you know, leading to a hockey assist and then also the, the goal, which was absolutely ridiculous. But the biggest difference for me was, just like Poopa said, TFC came out hot and they came out ready to go and score some goals. Yeah, Richie Larea had has to be the man of the match. Two assists and a goal. 
our left side of our defense could not handle whatever was going on. We had Jimenez in there to start. Richie LeRae had one assist there. And then Valenzuela came in, one of our – he's usually our starting left back for our team, one of our most reliable players on the squad. And he gets absolutely shredded by Larea for, for two more goals. And we just didn't have an answer. We talked in the halftime podcast about them, you know, putting or trying to attack from the left side through Pablo Piatti. And we didn't see a lot of Richie Larea in the first half. And on top of them attacking more from the right side through their right back. And at, to, to that extent, I think they moved Akinola out of that right wing role and moved him more centrally to then give Larea that whole right wing to run down. But our left backs just they, – they didn't have the answer to Richie Larea, and it's, it's really unfortunate. Not saying Richie Larea is not a great player, but not only that, but the pressure that Toronto FC put on the crew as soon as, as, soon as they kicked back off – Josie scored three minutes into the second half. Momentum is a big, has a big effect in any sport. And for a team to come out within the first five minutes, you know, Mike D, we played collegiate soccer. What was it? First five, last five or something like that. There's, there's a lot of momentum that goes into that. So if a team scores right before half, they're going to come out with more momentum. And if a team comes out and scores in the first five minutes, the next half, you know, we could be in trouble for, for the rest of the, the, the match, the duration of the 90 and, Josie's goal in the 48th minute after we talked all that smack about how Giassi looked better than him. And he one times it to the left side of Eloy Room's goal, the Columbus Crew's goal. And that just shifted the momentum of that game. I just, like you guys said, it didn't look like the same Columbus Crew team. It didn't look like the same Toronto FC team. I'm very impressed with Toronto FC. The way that that game made me feel, it almost felt like a playoff game in a sense to whereas the Columbus crew kind of had the advantage in the first half, not possessionally, but shot shots on goal. And they looked to what Toronto FC wasn't prepared for. And then Toronto FC and Greg Vanny went into halftime and said, okay, well, we're going to take that 45 minutes and we're going to exploit you X, Y, and Z ways. And that was going down the right-hand side, moving Akinola inside. And it looked like a complete, completely different game. We talked about the strikers pregame that looked completely different. Josie looked way better. We talked about the midfields pregame. Toronto FC's midfield looked a thousand times better in the second half. I guess it's a game of adjustments, boys, and the Columbus crew made poor adjustments. Well, luckily it wasn't a playoff game because RS would be knocked out already. So that's a that's a positive start already. And then I just I just didn't understand why they took Diaz out. I thought Diaz had a great first half when he's not even like getting getting time to. Put, put work on the ball or anything like that because I don't even think he got a touch even even before he came out. So that's what that's one thing I didn't really agree on because I, I thought he had a pretty decent first half. So I wish they would have kept him in for a little bit longer to see what he could have done because, I mean, he I think he could have been a, a difference piece to, for the crew. Talking about adjustments, I think you hit something important there. The crew made these adjustments, I think, way too early, and they pulled out some of their key players that I think should have stayed in. But you see TFC make a, a substitution very late in the game, and it's four players. For me, like Blake said, the adjustments were, were crucial. And I think not only did Toronto come out and have more fire, but, I mean, they rode that momentum that he was talking about. And with that, on top of the crew making those adjustments early like they did, I think just didn't help them at all. We saw players that we really haven't seen since the MLS's back tournament. I'm not sure if we've seen Aiden Morris at all this year, to be honest with you. 
and he's another one of the homegrown players for the Columbus crew, played, I believe, a season at Indiana University. But he came in, excuse me, for Sebastian Berhalter, who looked, looked to have – I don't know if it's the right move. I know that we're limited right now in the central midfield role with Nagby and Alashe out, but Berhalter's young, as is Aiden Morris. You know, I think that they do bring different things to the table, but I think Sebastian Berhalter is the better player. And so that might be lesser to the effect of the, you know, the substitute that I'm talking about. But Chris Caden for Harrison Offull. I know I was a little bit critical at halftime about Harrison Offull and some of his giveaways, but he just brings more to the game than Chris Caden does. To what Poopas just said with Luis Diaz coming out, Derek Etienne Jr. coming in. Yes, I love Derek Etienne Jr. I think he's a good player. He was great for New York Red Bulls. He's good for the crew. He brings good energy off the bench. But Luis Diaz, like I said at halftime again, I'll refer back to that. He looked decent offensively, but he did the defensive work as well. So I think to what Mike D just said, we did make our substitutes too early. Mm. And I I know that we're limited, but I don't know if they were the right substitutes at the right time. And we're just, I, I thought we were just playing way too many hospital balls out there. Our passes were not good at all. You had Zayla just like holding on to the ball. I mean, yeah, no, he does. He held on the ball way too long sometimes, but nobody looked like, nobody looked like it, they wanted to help him. Like he had nobody around him. And then I, I feel like Mokhtar held on to the ball way too much. I, that man dribbles at the wrong, wrong times. And he, he should got rid of the ball a few times. Even play, like, I saw, like, Zardes was making runs inside the box, and Mokhtar could have easily played that ball early in the box, just, you know, just for a, maybe a last-moment last chance for to score a goal. Just knock it in the box. I mean, Zardes, he's tall. I mean, he's going to use his body, so just take chances. Just knock the ball inside early. We're frustrated. I'm frustrated. It was absolutely – yeah, it was definitely, that's for sure. It was frustrating to see the crew – give up three goals when they, they haven't, like you said, given up three goals in, you know, however many games. It, it's, it's frustrating. The back line, I, th- I honestly think they came out and they got punched in the face, and it just was all downhill from there. Yeah, and now Toronto FC, I know Philadelphia won as well, so they're only sitting two points behind the Columbus crew. So if the crew slip up again in an upcoming match, that gives another team the opportunity to not only take the East, but also jump atop the supporter shield because the East has – the, t- the top of the East looks a lot better than the top of the West. So whoever's top of the East is probably going to take Supporter Shield this year. Well, we play but, FC Dallas next, so we'll see, we'll see what happens. Talking, yeah. about, talking about the next game, I mean, we can touch on going forward here in a moment, but something I wanted to mention about the, the substitutions and the changes that were made. I think that Caleb Porter made these changes. They mentioned it a little bit in the broadcast, but only play, you know, playing Thursday and then turning around and, and playing again you know, on Sunday, obviously the – you want to give the players a rest, but they don't play again until next weekend. So, I mean, run them into the ground. They got plenty of time to, to recover. And so I think that that was a little silly. But also, again, it's not – it's why I don't get paid the big bucks. Yeah, I don't know if they were necessarily tactical substitutions or whether they were fitness-based substitutions. But nonetheless – wasn't great. Substitutions weren't great. Second half performance wasn't great. Really, the first half performance on paper looked good. With We outshot them, had more shots on goal. But honestly, we looked like the better team, but we never looked like a team that was going to put a lot of numbers up on the board. So, guys, we've, we've talked a lot about how we thought Jossie is better than Josie. To give you guys a little bit of context about Josie against the crew, 
he has five goals and an assist in his last eight matches versus the crew. And he also knocked us out of the 2017 playoffs to get to the MLS cup. Uh, thanks to the Toronto FC commentators who gave me that information. But I know that we talked a lot of crap about Josie, but he's a Columbus crew killer. So guys, we, we saw some good goals in this game. We're not going to talk about Mavinga. So technically Toronto FC scored four goals. Which goal was the best in this game for you guys? Let's let's give Toronto FC a little bit of credit where it's due. Let's be unbiased for a second. Ah, the the Richie Larea goal. I mean, to receive the ball, his first move when he absolutely destroys Valenzuela, get him going the other way. Oh, I loved it. I, I hated to love it. And then to, <laughs> to dribble all the way through into the box, you know, taking on three defenders and then five hole in room. I mean, I, that was the goal of the match for me. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Josie's banger. Honestly, that man, that man put a rocket in the in, back, in the back of the net. I mean, those. I mean, might have big arms, big traps, everything else, <laughs> but that big old leg hit a rocket. That's what he did. Well, guys, I like that we all have three different ones because I have the Pozuelo goal for Pozuelo to take that preparation touch, the very calm preparation touch outside the 18, and simply almost pass it into the near stick. Eloy Room didn't move. He split Jonathan Minson, whoever our other defender was there. And, I mean, he put it he put it where Eloy Room couldn't even see it for half the time that it was off his foot. To be as patient as he was and to be as confident as he was to just take that prep touch and put it in, that was that kind of stood out to me. So, guys, going forward, like Koopa said, we have FC Dallas this upcoming Saturday. Following that, we'll face Montreal, Orlando, Cincy, New York City FC, Houston, D.C. United, Philadelphia Union, and Atlanta to close out the season. So we're two points up. Boys, do you think that we're going to be able to take the East and take the Supporter Shield with these remaining games? I mean, we should be able to. I mean, we, we really don't have that tough of a schedule coming up at all. Actually, Dallas, maybe. I mean, who, who knows with them? Like, they're hit and miss. But Montreal, if we lose to Montreal, oh, my goodness. Like, come on well, well, don't forget about Orlando, Philly, Houston, who scores a lot of goals. Don't forget about those teams as well. Yeah, but, I mean, Houston, Houston struggled the other day. They're, they're a very inconsistent team. But they're, so, a team that, they're a team that can be dangerous. But if we, if we play like we have been, unlike today, then we should be fine. We should be fine. Our, deep, our defense needs to step up again. And I, I just – like, Caleb Porter just needs to make, make the right, right subs at the right time, though. That's so. key. That's key. I think – are we ever going to get Darlington back? I mean, we need him. I mean, we, we needed him tonight. That second half, I mean, you really see once the puzzle pieces start to fall apart where somebody like Darlington Nagby really could come in and really help out. So, it's, it's sad that he's not playing. I, I really wish that he would come back. <laughs> Darlington, get well soon, buddy. We need you, man. All right, well, guys, I don't have anything else to wrap up this game with. Uh, you, do you guys have anything else you want to close out with? Nope, just had sad times. That's it. <laughs> our, our listeners probably can sense right now the hurt. It hurts. It's, it's tough to do a podcast like this because the crew are near and dear to the heart especially for, for Poopus and Blake. I mean, I'm a crew fan because of them, and these guys are, are diehard crew fans, you know, from day one. So it hurts for me, but I can only imagine the hurt that they have. So 
it's just sad times right now. But hats off to TFC. They came out, they made an adjustment, and it paid off for them. Yeah, it, it hurts for me as a podcaster trying to be as unbiased as possible, but also cheer for the crew. We gave you guys a lot of crew info tonight. We try to give you guys as much Toronto FC info as well and give them as much credit as credit is due. Kayla Porter called them a big club. They are a big club in the MLS. They are elite within the MLS ranks. They're up there with Seattle. I don't even know if Columbus fits in those ranks yet. I don't think that they do, to be honest with you. But Toronto FC is is up there. And it hurts me to say that about the crew, but Toronto FC is a team that's up there within the elite of the MLS. Caleb Porter came out and said they should be favorites in this game. And it hurts just as a podcaster. It hurts me to say. It has to hurt Caleb Porter to say. But he understands that. So the Columbus crew has some digging to do. They have plenty of games left to do it before the playoffs. They've secured playoffs, I'm pretty sure, by this point. And they're going to – once they get Darlington back, even if they don't – well, they will get Darlington. But, you know, going forward, the crew are going to be fine. But for Mike D, Poopus, myself, a.k.a. Blem, we'll catch you guys. I think we're going to do a midweek pod recapping this full week. I know Iguain had his debut tonight. There were some things that we should uh, should talk about. But we figured, you know, it's been about a week and a half since we've released one, since the Brendan Aronson podcast. Little side thing here. If you guys haven't listened to that yet, go listen to the Brendan Aronson podcast. Looks like he's going to Red Bull Salzburg. Not sure yet. But from the guys at MLS Gone Wild, everybody take care. Stay home. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll catch you guys midweek. Peace out.